Welcome to another edition of the Untoxicated Podcast. I'm Matt Salis, and I am joined, as usual, by my lovely wife, Sherry. How's it going today, Sherry? Good, thanks. Hey, before we introduce our guest, I am really excited. Um, I'm excited about your timing for coming in today, Emily, because this is a big anniversary for me. And actually, um, one of the people that's in the Shout Sobriety Program, our our early recovery program, um, sent me an email this morning and reminded me I had kind of forgotten the date. But it's January 10th, which is, this is my two-year anniversary, not my sobriety anniversary, but my coming out anniversary. When I sent 3,000 emails to everyone I could find an email address for and announced that I was a high-functioning alcoholic and that I'd caused all these problems in my life and that I wasn't drinking anymore. I was a year sober when I sent the email, roughly a year sober. But I don't actually mark my uh, sobriety date. I'm not sure. It was middle of January and 17 sometime. I don't really know what it was, but I know January 10th was the day I pushed send on that email because I was terrified. Maybe that's why you were up in the middle of the night last night, like panicky and sweaty just from two years removed from that because I don't think you slept and wink the night before. Well, two years ago, I didn't sleep and wink the night, the night before. Last night I was up. I don't know why I wasn't sweating though. I was mm-hmm. just up, which sucks, but anyway... Congratulations. Thanks. And that is the lovely voice of Miss Emily Schrader, who is here. Emily has become a, a friend of mine just recently. In the last month or so, we've we've done an event together, and we've gotten to know each other and had coffee, and she's graciously come to be on our podcast today. Emily is the... You're officially the executive director, right? I am. She is the executive director of Bar Zero, which we're going to talk lots about today, it is an awesome uh, catering company and eventually planning to be a brick-and-mortar location for um, you know full-on catering. We'll cater alongside of uh, full, if, if the catering customer wants to have a full bar, they'll have that bar and that'll be next to you, but you'll have nothing to do with that because you also provide a sober bar experience, right? That's right. Awesome. Well, welcome, Emily. Thank you. It's great to have you. Good to be here. So, Emily, I've got to imagine, I mean, I know, like, I shouldn't say I've got to imagine because you and I have talked before, but there's a reason that you have gone down this path and that Bar Zero is the name of your company and that um, a sober bar experience is something you want to deliver to as many people across the Denver metro area and beyond as possible. So can you start out by telling us a little bit about your your history with, with alcohol and drugs and what brought you to this point in life? Sure. So, where to start? Um, I think that I started to realize I had a problem with drugs and alcohol when I was in, just after undergrad, I think. I think before that, it was easy to think I was just like everybody else. Sure. I was binge drinking just like everybody else. I was partying just like everybody else. But as, as all of my, or a lot of my friends um, and uh, students, other students in undergrad started to, that started to go away for them, I kept it up. Okay. I started working in the restaurant business just after undergrad because um, my undergrad degree is in French. So, of course, I worked in the restaurant business because... What else do you do with an undergrad degree in French? Did you know that when you were getting that French degree? Like, did you know that? Yeah, I, I love I French and I want to do this, but I'm going to work in a restaurant. I, no, I had no idea. Okay. I had no idea what I was doing. Okay. Um, I chose that major when I was 18 years old. Who knows what well, they're doing So we've at got 18. someone at that age and like trying to figure out how hard to push them into a... That's funny because before we started recording, yes. you said, I think you should push them into some... I think you should push <laughs> well, your daughter into some... Well, not French or language. But I, what, yeah. I can see why she's saying that. Yeah, yes, I see. Because I went to a liberal arts, small liberal arts college in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And so it was a liberal arts degree with an emphasis in, mm-hmm. in French. Now, I got to spend my junior year abroad in Toulouse, France. Mm. So it was all worth it because of that, really. It was an amazing experience. 
But when I graduated, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, I did stay in this small town in Pennsylvania. I got a job in a small mom and, top, mom and pop restaurant. And I started working in the kitchen there. And then um, I found out soon after that you could make more money working on the floor and waiting tables. So I did a little bit of both okay. there. And as um, you probably know, uh, drug and alcohol use in the restaurant industry is pretty prevalent. And so I continued my drinking and drug use. I, I think I was still... I, I just continued the way I was using in, in college. Um, and again, because everybody else around me was doing the same thing. I didn't see it as a problem. Right. Um, it's, it's only in retrospect that I say it probably was becoming a problem during that time. Yeah. Um, That's the time when some people, not myself, so this is not a criticism, but some people kind of mature and right. just having a couple beers on the weekends becomes the, the avenue they take. But right. I certainly didn't slow down like that and, you didn't, and in part, it was because of the career path you chose because it normalized it so. for you too, right? I think so. I think it's interesting because a lot of every industry that I've ever spoken to someone from says, oh, there's a heavy drinking culture in my industry. It can be law enforcement. It can be lawyers, doctors, journalists. They all, and there's always a reason for it too, right? Sure. I, which I get, you know, the pressure, the stress, or, or I'm interviewing people, I've got to have cocktails with them, I'm interviewing them, or, or I don't get their trust, stuff like that. Yeah. But I think if there's one industry where I think you can really say, all right, it's big time in this industry, yeah. I think it is the restaurant industry. Yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe it's the hours. Maybe it's because it's such a nighttime thing. I don't know. It's a nighttime thing. Um, it is go, go, go until, until the end of the night. You have a bar at your place of work. Right. So there's that. Um, and then, you know, the drug use. I, I've started jobs where I've been introduced to, you know, you get your, your on-the-job um, orientation. And it's, here's where you put your beer during your shift. If you want to go smoke weed, you do that back here out, out in the back alley. And if you want to do cocaine, you do that here in the walk-in. Um, I don't know that there are many other jobs. And like here's that. where you hang your coat. You <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Wow. So yeah, that's different. You're right. I mean, I, I think prostitutes too. Probably <laughs> we we wouldn't know anything about that. And, Good. I'm not going to go there. It's a yeah. stretch. <laughs> but yeah, the restaurant industry is different. No question. So and and when I moved out to Colorado, I moved out to Colorado in '95, and um, I continued to work in the restaurant business because now that's that's what I knew where I had my experience um, and continued that same lifestyle. I went to culinary school for a short time thinking um, this is where I had my experience. I enjoy working in this setting. I might as well make a career out of it and um, soon realized that that was not the best choice for me. I just didn't feel like I was creative enough and I wouldn't get very far with, um, with being in the kitchen. So... Um, I, but I wanted I wanted to go back to school. Okay. And so I decided to go back to graduate school, and I chose a field that I just had some interest in. I didn't know if it would become a career or not, so I went back to school for counseling psychology. Looking back... Can you, with a French degree, can you just zoom right into that, or yeah. is there a lot of prerequisite problems that you've got? And, well, because I had a liberal arts degree, I had the basic science okay. and math classes okay. that I needed. Gotcha. Um, and... You know, I don't remember what types of prerequisites there were, but I also had 10 years in between my undergraduate and my graduate degree. And counseling psychology is a very experiential uh, program, uh, the program that I went to was. And so I think they considered life experience as okay. part of your prerequisites as well. And so retrospectively, looking back at that, I think, and I think a lot of us in the counseling field could say, that we went to school because we had an interest in figuring out our own stuff. Yeah. Or someone in our family, someone close to us. And looking back on my, my reasons, I'm sure it was trying to figure out my depression. 
um, that was underlying my drinking and my drug use. Um, but I didn't know that until until a long time afterwards. So I went to I went to graduate school at CU Denver, and I got a degree in counseling psychology. I graduated in 2003, and I continued to work in the restaurant business um, during graduate school. And my drug and alcohol use continued to escalate. And I really had a, a pretty good problem by the end of um, my graduate school. I think I, I started to do some harder drugs, um, which escalated my drinking at the same time. And I chose to stay in the restaurant business over keeping jobs in the counseling field because it supported my lifestyle. Yeah, sure. And so um, at some point I had a series of things happen um, just all lined up at the same time to give me some awareness that things were not going as I wanted them to in my life and I needed to I needed to change direction. Are you comfortable sharing any of those things? Uh, sure. I one of the big ones is that I lost a friend. Um, and I think we talked about this um, when we met last mm-hmm. time. I lost a friend to um, not not use of alcohol that had a physical impact on his body, but um, use of alcohol in the way that I was using alcohol. I, I was a very risky drinker in the fact that I took a lot of risks when I used drugs and alcohol. And so... Like that um, was part of the high for you, right? Was finding the risk. Huge. Sitting around a card table drinking wasn't going to do it for you. No. That's, and I mean, I did that too. Sure. But what kind of trouble can we get into yeah, tonight? Exactly. And that's how he died. He um, took a risk um, that didn't didn't quite work out for him. And um, he ended up getting hit by a car crossing the highway. And that was one thing that happened. I lost a relationship also. Um, I... It was a short-term relationship, but it was enough to where some realization was there that it ended because of my substance use. And that was reaffirmed after I stopped drinking and I met up with this person and they told me how much of a mess I was and that they couldn't be around me. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few things like that. And then the choices that I was making to stay in the restaurant business rather than go into the field of counseling where I had a, a degree and a a good amount of training um, because it was fitting my lifestyle. Um, so, so looking back, I mean, when you lay that out, it's quite obvious. Here are some things that happened that were big time signals that I needed to make a change. But when you're going through it, it's like you've got to get hit in the head with a brick, isn't it? Yeah. Because you're you want to explain things away. Even even when it stops being fun, you still, well, what do you mean it stops? Like, this is what I do. This is how I entertain yeah. myself. And, and looking for risks is good. And, and I'll say, I still, there were still times I was having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll admit that. It wasn't, but there were a lot of times where it was miserable. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to a friend about this yesterday because we had a similar path and we, we quit um, within a year of each other. Um, we knew we had a problem. Both of us knew we had a problem long before we quit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was partially because of the underlying depression that it was just what, you know, they call a case of the fuckets. It was, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I know I drink too much. I know I do too many drugs. I know that I'm doing these things that are really harmful to me and I could end up dying, but it is what it is. Yeah. I'm not stopping now. Fuck it. Yeah. 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 So I'm very familiar with that feeling. Yeah, so it, it did take several attempts in a few years. I'm not going to say I, these things all lined up and I said, oh, I need to stop. And then I stopped and I never went back again. There, were, there, were, there was more than one attempt to quit um, support groups and um, meeting with people who were in recovery and then going back to it and then things just getting worse, trying to drink in moderation and then things were getting worse. And those sorts of things. And then those things lined up. Yeah. And then realized it's time. Yeah. And I really had to make a bigger effort. So. So what did sobriety look like for you? How did you? Well, I I was working in a bar. I was still working in a bar. And I think just because of the the headspace I was in and because I was more ready than I had ever been before, I was able to 
look at my surroundings in a different light and rather than it being um, temptation for me it was reinforcement okay so I would look at, because I worked at a very it was a neighborhood type bar and so, so I would a lot of see regulars. a lot of regulars sitting in the same spot day after day and it was reinforcing for me to say I was I was going down that path to be that person and that's not the life that I want so I need to stay on the path that I'm on and stay quit and then about two or three months into not drinking I took a trip um I put my dog in the car and we went uh camping we took a road trip and drove up to Southern Oregon, Northern California, and drove down the coast um, and did a lot of car camping and did a lot of soul searching and getting back in touch with nature and with myself and with my dog. And I think so that's really on that trip. Were you able to? Were you able to avoid? Sounds like you were. Were you able to avoid those thoughts of, oh, you know, I've gone, I've gone a couple of months. I'm better now. I mean, I know that was one of the reasons that I went through a series of relapses before I finally made it. Cause I said, uh, maybe I'll try one more time. And a trip like that might've been an opportunity for me to say, uh, I'm going to think of all these rules I'll put around my drinking so that I'll, but that I wasn't, no, because I had been through that already. Good. And I think I was in such a different <clears throat> space at that time that all of what I was doing was reinforcing that this was the right choice. And I think I was also in that place that people call the pink cloud. Yeah. I was feeling really good. Sure. Um, and everything that I was doing was helping me to feel better. Yeah. Um, and I also don't remember ever saying I'm never going to drink again. Okay. And maybe that was helpful too. To just say, I'm not drinking right now. And I let those good feelings build um, and reinforce that I was making the right decision. Um, I still never say I'll never drink again. I think I always reserve that I'm 85 years old and I deserve to have a couple glasses of wine. <laughs> but um, but thinking about that now, after so many years of not drinking, it's not appealing to me at all. Were, what kind of help did you seek early on? Were you in a 12-step program? or No, I... So I tried 12 steps several different times. Okay. Um, the first couple times I tried to quit, I went to 12 step meetings because that's what I was told to do. Sure. Um, and and that time know. as well, I, I saw a counselor. I just did outpatient therapy um, once or twice a week. And I planned my quit date um, with her. She encouraged me to go to 12-step meetings, and I did, but I didn't see it as my primary source of support during that time. Um, although the people that I met in those programs definitely were helpful for me, but the meetings themselves just never clicked for me. I, I even went back at five years sober and said, I'm going to do this, I'm giving it my best shot, and I got a sponsor and worked most of the steps. I didn't get all the way through because um, I was pregnant at the time. And then I um, finally, just before I had my daughter, I finally kind of forgave myself for it and said, it's okay if this is not for you. There are other ways to uh, maintain the, the not drinking. So your, so your takeaway <clears throat> is, if I'm hearing you correctly, it wasn't for you, but you're not one of these AA bashers who... No. Like you see the benefit for others, it Absolutely. just didn't. It just didn't, didn't click mesh. for me. Yeah, and I imagine because of the the graduate degree you had, the idea of counseling or or one on one therapy, that kind of thing. That I mean, you had to believe in it. You right. you were going to do it for a living, right? Yeah. So it had to be something yeah. that you uh, thought was a good avenue for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I found it very helpful. Um, I found it very helpful in those concrete. Some of the concrete things that I was doing as far as planning my quit date, I don't know. Now looking back on that, I don't know how I did that. But I, like I said, I must have just been in that right headspace to be ready for it. Um, and then also then maintaining in those early days of not drinking. One of the things you've told me when we've talked in the past is about when you talk about planning your quit date... You had a big trip to New York right before your quit date, right? I did. Right? 
And one of the things that's just stuck with me and fascinated me about that, because I don't think that's unique necessarily to have kind of a, I'm going to go on a bender on the way out kind of a thing. But what you said to me was, you thought to yourself, if I survive this trip, I'm going to quit. So is that from the risk taker attitude that you had? You thought you might just go nuts and... I did. I mean, I feel like I did. Um, for, For myself, for my own level of use, I went overboard. Um, and I only compare myself to myself (laughs) when it comes to that, but you know, I did all the drugs that I did that week or weekend, whatever it was when we went to New York to see uh, a band and, um, I took all the risks and, I I did, and I think I said that out loud. I don't think I just said it to myself. I okay. said, if I come back alive, I'm gonna I'm not gonna drink when I come home. Um, and some people laughed at me, and some people thought, sure, you know, <clears throat> sure, Emily, you can, that's what's gonna happen. Yeah, right. I had one person say to me, "That's like saying you're gonna fly back from New York without a plane." Yeah. And I thought, I'll was, show you. It was that ingrained in your life at that point. People couldn't <laughs> yeah. imagine you without it. <laughs> right. Which so, I get. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, okay, so you found sobriety, you got you laid some tracks down, you had some how how sober are you now? I mean, you're 100% sober, but how long is <laughs> I have not had a drink since <coughs> 2005. 2005. Okay. That's great. So, did you move into the counseling therapy kind of world? Talk about that a little bit. So, I stayed in the restaurant business. I think I stayed about another year after that, and I started working uh, my first job in the addiction treatment field after I had about a year without substances. Okay. And that was, yeah, so that was 2006. I started working at Arapahoe House. Uh, I did some school-based counseling with adolescents, um, worked at a few different Denver public schools, and um, worked there for about two years, and then I was off and running. That's great. Yeah. Um, but at some point, the would you say the restaurant itch just got you again? Or how? I always missed it. I really missed the social aspect of it. I missed the fast-paced aspect of it, being up on your feet, running around, um, talking to people. And, I mean, there was a lot of that that I really enjoyed when I was in it. Um, and at some point in the early days of not drinking, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was a space where we could go that was like a bar, but didn't serve alcohol? Um, but it wasn't much more than that thought. A sober bar. Yeah, that'd be really cool if somebody opened one of those. And it wasn't until a couple years ago when I had that thought again that it became more of a reality because by then I was working for myself. I, th- I saw that that wasn't as scary as I had previously thought and that taking risks as far as um, professionally um, could pay off. And so I said, I told a friend of mine this idea out loud and she said, that is a great idea. This is another person in recovery. She said, that is a great idea. You have to do that. And if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. So thank you, Allison, <laughs> for saying that. Um, that was the start of Bar Zero. It was first So Bar, and then we had to change our name um, because of somebody else had the trademark on that I name. wondered about it because yeah. I've seen some older... Well, actually, on the you were just on the news over New Year's, and they had a picture of you in a So Bar shirt. And I oh, remember thinking... Yeah. Why did she change the name? I've got to ask her yep. someday, and then I forgot. So there's there. another nonprofit uh, organization out in Maryland that has the same name, and the woman messaged me through Facebook and said, "Hey, wanted to let you know because my lawyer was going to send you a nasty gram, and I told her I just would reach out from one nonprofit executive director to another yeah. to let you know we actually have submitted for the trademark on this name." And um, I did know about them. I didn't know they had gotten the final trademark and used the mark in commerce. Um, so I knew there was a possibility that we might have to change the name. Well, I like Bar Zero better anyway. I do, too. So. I yeah. do, too. Um, 
So a good friend of mine, uh, Bill St. John, was the one who came up with the name Bar Zero. Oh, great. And uh, we've been Bar Zero since, I don't know, July or August of this year. And I do I like of it last better year. as well. It's 2020 oh, yeah, now. Oh, right. right. Of 2019. When... When I first started hearing of this concept, not Bar Zero specifically, but this idea of, of bars that serve non-alcoholic beverages exclusively, you know, I was pretty early on in sobriety myself, and I still had this connection. Sherry's talked about how all along, when I was drinking, wherever we would move, whatever job, whatever city we lived in, um, as I was meeting new people, if they weren't drinkers, I would like eliminate them from my potential friend list. A lot of it was subconscious. Mm-hmm. A lot of it... Because you felt like you didn't have any connection and you didn't feel like you had anything to do together. Mm-hmm. And I didn't... I couldn't oh, imagine being fun. That's it. I couldn't and, imagine yeah. being fun. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, Sherry, we've talked about like by name, specifically by name, the people that that you actually got to know and I, I didn't <laughs> and they ended up being awesome people and... But so the reason I bring that up, um, when I first started hearing about sober bars, I thought, oh, is that where all the, you know, clarinet players and math <laughs> nerds are going to hang out? Like, I even, even, trumpet players. even in sobriety, <laughs> I couldn't picture myself yeah. hanging out there. And then you're, yeah, you said, oh, it's just going to be so sad. Like, you have the implication of a bar, but then everybody's just bored and... I was like, <laughs> hey, for a person who's been pregnant and breastfed for children, like... There are a lot of times that sober people have fun. Yeah, And he, he just could not wrap his arms around that. Like, I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that it's something you haven't experienced before because alcohol is always around. And yep. so you think, this is how we have fun. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that maybe it, there is fun to be had without drinking. And that is going to be a realization that you don't want to face yes. because it's telling you... Oh wait, this is something that I don't need, and it's going to make you reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. Well, and that's that's not something we wanted at that point. Not right? at all. Yeah, but I think it's so common. I mean, all the people that I talked to in early sobriety, if they, if I, and I've never done this, but if I said, "Hey, write down your ten biggest fears about long term sobriety," in the top five is going to be, "I'm not going to be fun anymore. My yeah. personality is going to be different, and I'm not going to have fun anymore." That's in our business plan. Those two lines are are, are some of the to not first have any fun lines. Of, am I ever going to have fun <laughs> anymore? Am I going to be fun anymore? And these are questions that people in early recovery often ask themselves. That's part of our. That's part of the dialogue we have in our in the early part of our business plan. Well, I've hung yeah. around enough people in the recovery community, not just you know through my writing and through the podcast you know, across the country, but I've actually sat and hung out with enough people in, in recovery in the, in, here in our hometown of Denver, where we now make our residence in Denver, um, to know they're a lot of fun, like a ton of fun yeah, and doing some really cool things with their lives because, you know, there's not this hindrance or this thing that's slowing them down anymore. People are reaching full potential amazingly enough. Yeah. So I'm all in now on the concept and if there are clarinet players and mathematicians there, I, I want to hang out with them too because I bet right. they're fun too. And the other thing you realize that when you're clear-headed and you're hanging out with people who are partaking in... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's dreadful. It can be, yeah. right? I know. Says the sober wife. <laughs> Just was forced into it, basically. Oh, I can yeah. remember coming home from an event with... Uh, all my drinking buddies were still drinking except for me. And I was like, Sherry, I had to leave early. Like, they kept telling the same stories over and over again. And very loudly, probably. And, and they think they're so much funnier and charming than they are. And I'm like, really? Yeah. You're surprised. <laughs> like, I don't know this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's tough. So, okay. So, you had this concept. You shared it with your friend. Your friend said, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Then what happened? And when so is I, this? I, this, um, this was year and a half, two years ago, I started talking to more people about it um, and getting more ideas on what that might look like. And initially, it was a sober bar. Mm -hmm. And then the questions, I mean, the biggest question that came up was, how am I going to make money Mm -hmm. selling juice? I mean, 
we didn't want to be a juice bar. Mm. I mean, juice bars make money. Right. <laughs> but I couldn't figure out a way to make that work in my head. And so I thought, why not just be a full service restaurant and dry bar? And so that was the initial concept was a full service restaurant and dry bar. The catering piece of it came later. And we thought once we have the restaurant up and running, we'll, we'll have a catering division running out of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then the reality of it was that we were not getting the funding that we were looking for. And we're also a nonprofit. I wanted this to be community based on more than one level because our our missions are around connection and community building for people in recovery and so I didn't want to be the owner of this place I didn't want it to be owned by anyone I wanted it to be sort of owned by everyone mm -hmm. I don't know if that really makes much business sense or not but it is what it is yeah and so um once the reality of the difficulty of getting funding for the restaurant came around, um, I thought, why not? It was much more feasible to get the catering off the ground first. And sure. we had enough money to start doing that. So we hired our chef um, sometime mid-2019. mid, mid and No, end of summer 2019. Okay. Um, once we had had... Our nonprofit established. We had started building our board, and so we hired our chef Paul Rose in July or August of 2019, and then we started with our catering operation. Then, um, officially, I think in September. Okay. And now we're starting to gain some traction. We do um, mostly corporate catering. And our biggest market right now is um, folks in the addiction treatment world. Because I've been in that world for the past 13, 14 years. Yeah. And um, just like anything, we need connections, right? Right. I mean, that's where your connections are. And that's where my connections are. And those are also the people who are really excited about our mission. So the catering is the the mission around catering is to hire people in early recovery teach them a new job skill or career um, help them get back on their feet help them have more of a sense of purpose in their lives and um, because as we know a lot of the times as people suffering with uh, an addiction they have a hard time keeping employment um, being stable in employment or going back to the field that they were in, even if they weren't having trouble with their employment, going back into the field that you were in, as we were talking about earlier, can be super triggering mm -hmm. and maybe they don't want the same pressures that they had before. So they want to try uh, a new path. Um, so we are hiring right now, we're hiring people in early recovery as catering trainees they'll get to learn the kitchen side of the business but also marketing and sales and bookkeeping and whatever else they want to learn about the business um and so we're doing the corporate catering we're also putting on events for the community so right now since we don't have a brick and mortar instead of bringing the community to us and having our own space for people to connect and build community, we're bringing that space to other people um, and to other spaces. Um, and we're also doing the non-alcoholic bar thing, and we're hoping to do some pop-ups here in early 2020 um, so that we can bring that, that space to other bars and other organizations or event spaces. So other bars, so like a bar that's a regular bar yep. would have you in and give you a space of their floor space and say, yep. here. Either take over for the night and do a non-alcoholic, totally non-alcoholic night, or maybe do a portion of the bar and do um, a non-alcoholic part of the, of the bar so people have more choices. There are a lot of bars right now, bars and restaurants in Denver that are offering more non-alcoholic options. Um, you mean in, not just soda with a lime? Not just soda with a lime or, or cranberry juice with a lime, but really like craft complex beverages um, that don't include alcohol. And um, it's, it's really taking off. This whole sober curious movement that's happening right now um, is really gaining some traction. And people are starting to choose not to drink 
um, before they have a problem and are told they can't drink anymore or have decided they can't drink anymore. Let's talk about the label for just a minute. Do you do you call yourself an alcoholic? That's a good question. I have in the past. Um, I go back and forth with the label piece, and I think it's individualized. I think whatever helps you. Um, if it helps you to say, I'm an alcoholic and I can't drink then use that label. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't serve you, if it only feels stigmatizing and is feels shaming, then don't use it. Um, I know there are lots of people and you know, at the beginning of a 12 step meeting, that's what, that's what folks do. They say, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, and that's worked for millions of people. I'm not sure where I am right now. I haven't thought about that in a long time. And I think um, that's okay to not be sure where you are. Yeah. I just yeah. think it's interesting. So I'm not a 12-step person, but I do very much claim the label alcoholic. And I do it because I feel like it takes the power out of the stigma. If mm. if I declare myself an alcoholic, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Tease me about being an alcoholic? Yeah. I just said that. You know, that's not a very stinging insult right. you can come back at me with. That's true. But I also totally get the concept of if we take the label out of it, um, are more people who are gray area drinkers, which is another one of the trendy Mm -hmm. terms right now, right? Are more people that are concerned about their drinking, but they can't identify with the term alcoholic. Are they more likely to get help or or take a break or do any of the things that are on the healthy side? Um, I think that's what's beautiful about the, the gray area drinking sober curious sober curious movement is that um people there's this there's more awareness there's more conversation happening and people don't have to be in that space of hitting rock bottom before Mm -hmm. they reevaluate their Mm -hmm. their relationship with alcohol before thinking about it i think it's really interesting like you talked about that mixologists right so i guess that's the new term for experienced bartender or creative bartender they're actually like you said they are taking some interest and let's see what we can mix up that doesn't have alcohol in it and if if people that do this professionally are taking an interest they're not just doing that altruistically there's a market for it if oh absolutely people are spending their time and their energy and I, i can't remember where i saw but i recently was reading an article about a contest um, and you've well, okay. This brings me <laughs> to one of the things I want to talk about. It wasn't an article. You told me about that. That's right. Oh, now I feel silly. But um, one of your launch events mm-hmm. that you had not too long ago, mm-hmm. I said to you, that my almost direct quote was, "Oh, what'd you do? Have like a dinner and you know, trying to raise money for your fundraiser, like everybody does a fundraiser." Yeah. And you said, "Oh, I don't want to do it like everybody else does." Yeah. And so you had a mixology contest at we one did. of your, was that like kind of a big kickoff event for we're here, we're alive, we're proud. It was a few come different about us. reasons. Yeah. So it was a fundraiser um, to raise money for, um, at that point it was still, we were still hopeful for the, the brick and mortar restaurant, but mm-hmm. we were starting to, to get into the catering. Um, and we teamed up with an organization called Friends and Family, which is a um, organization for the hospitality industry, education, and community building for the hospitality industry. And um, the also idea, a nonprofit organization. Also a nonprofit organization. Isn't it amazing? One of the, I mean, Sherry and I are pretty new in our nonprofit venture, but it's amazing how willing and helpful everyone in that community is sometimes i'll make a phone call and be like oh this person's going to be too busy they're going to blow me off and they will like i can like hear them pushing everything off their desk to clear time to talk to me yeah like it's amazing so when you talk about that partnership that stuff is really cool it is alive and well we've had we've had several um experiences like that as well it's really cool so Kevin Galaba from Friends and Family um, helped us organize this event, and um, we had seven area bartenders um, from some pretty trendy, popular restaurants come and compete for a spot on our menu using only non-alcoholic ingredients in the drinks. And we had every 
every ingredient that we had was a sponsored ingredient as well. So we had um, some great sponsors, some local, some national, um, donate their product so that we could raise funds for our organization and have this great awareness um, event. And we really got to showcase what we were what we're trying to create with Bar Zero um, because we had we had part of the night where we had some music. We had the Michael Hornbuckle Band play, who's a band where the guys are in recovery, um, and they're amazing. Uh, and they played for our VIP sponsors of the event, and we did pairings there. So we had food and paired with um, some non-alcoholic... Um, they're sort of like zero-proof drinks in a bottle um, made by a division of Coca-Cola hmm. called Bar None. And so we paired, um, Chef Paul paired some of his food with those beverages. And then we did appetizers for everybody during the main event, during the um, beverage, zero-proof beverage mix-off is what we called it. So the VIP, those were your more generous donors. Yes. They reached a certain yes. threshold and made the VIP. And exactly. the appetizers was for... Everybody who was at the event, donating to the cause and getting admission. excited about Bar Zero. Exactly. Excellent. And um, everybody got to go through and taste all of the drinks that the bartenders made. Um, and these bartenders were, some of them were sober curious. We had a bartender that was, that does not drink at all. And, um, but the majority of the bartenders drink alcohol and work, they all work in bars where they serve alcohol. A lot of them said that um, it's more challenging and more takes takes more brain power to make a drink without the alcohol because the alcohol is usually the base of the drink and you right. have something to work around. Um, so it takes a lot of creativity and it really takes a, a creative mixologist to make some of these drinks. And they came up with some amazing amazing uh recipes and we had a panel of kind of local celebrity judges that judged the drinks and we had um a winner chosen by the judges and then we had a um people's choice people's choice i love it drink yeah and and it was just a great night and i think we really were able to create that feel that we were trying to to get to is that here's a 165 something like that 165 people in a room without a drop of alcohol having fun meeting people meeting each other um, coming together as community for a cause and just having a great time and still donating generously right you raised some cash on that at that event we raised some cash we didn't raise millions of dollars but it was yes we did but, raise but I think it's interesting because most nonprofits that have nothing to do with alcohol or non-alcohol they're just doing their, you know whatever we're trying to save all the stray dogs or whatever they're going to have an evening event and serve alcohol mm -hmm. at their fundraiser because yeah. they think it's, that's going to loosen wallets it's to very serve the alcohol. different right it does though it it still does no it question i don't but, know that many people have tried but i think not having the alcohol to see what happens right? i heard a, about an event and i think i was telling you about this um i heard a, about an event and i'm not positive on the organization it may have been urban peaks that did um they did their fundraiser without alcohol this year because they thought you know having alcohol at our fundraiser really does not align with our mission mm -hmm. um and they raised more money than they had raised in previous years where there was alcohol involved so maybe this is something for other organizations to start thinking about well, if you have an organization where your main missions are around mental health and or substance use, it makes sense to have at least have the option for a non-alcoholic beverage. Well, how about kids? I mean, I know I feel that way about our elementary school fundraisers and middle right. school fundraisers. Yeah, they raise tons of money. High school fundraising is like especially, and it seemed like when we maybe it was just because the purse strings have loosened and more affluent people have moved into our neighborhood. But I know. They're raising a lot more money now since they have these wine pools and it's it's this gargantuanly expensive event that doesn't even go to the school the first ticket price, mm -hmm. right? Like it doesn't go to the school, it's all the 
stuff that you bid on and buy and yeah and then it becomes a competition and well and i spent five hundred dollars on a bottle of whiskey Mm -hmm. and i got upset because they were collecting the wine in the office of the elementary school just to make it easier for the parents and that is a like top 10 commandment no-no to have alcohol or drugs in a school and they excuse it away by saying, well, we're not opening it there. We're just, it's just a it's collection away. point. They take the parents day. are adults. They're over 21. And I get all that. I understand it. But at the same time, I think the uh, drug and alcohol problem, al- well, drug and alcohol problem in the schools, certainly, you know, we have a lot of interaction with our schools. It's getting worse. It's, yeah. And it, I don't know if it's worse from the standpoint of being more, but it's way more brazen. Like these kids aren't afraid of getting caught anymore. So the, so it's a culture shift, right? And when the culture is mom and dad went to the fundraiser and they donated a bunch of money and they came home trashed. Um, kind like of what, example are we Yeah, saying? what exactly? Are we well, and then the lessening and criminality of getting caught too. I mean, you know, people are misdemeanors and there's no real, I don't know, I shouldn't say no real. Concept. But there's no real concept and no consequence. And, you know, it can get like, brushed aside when this should be stopped early yeah the culture is definitely shifting and i think i think where this all ties together that's really potentially super interesting for you is if the alternative isn't just you know um sodas because a lot of people aren't into soft drinks if the alternatives aren't just soda water with lime or bottled water if the alternatives are really cool and interesting maybe some of these organizations where um, they aren't about sobriety. They aren't about fighting drugs and alcohol. But the alcohol doesn't align with the things they are about, like kids. Maybe that's a huge potential market for you because all all of your competitors in the catering industry know food and they know how to set up a bar, a full regular bar. Yeah. But you've got this creativity on the non-alcoholic side that hopefully, um, I mean, I'm probably saying something that you're like yeah that's why we're doing this this is news that's what we're hoping for yeah yeah but i think that a lot more awareness needs to be raised so that people realize there's an option there Mm -hmm. Um, that's not boring it's not coke and sprite and seven up we need to get out there and we need to let people know what yeah what we can offer yeah so that this is a viable option for your fancy Mm -hmm. fundraiser we're not coming in and just selling soda water with a lime yeah one of your first events that you did as an awareness, maybe maybe fundraising, I don't remember, but a hey, we're here, we exist kind of a thing was the Gay Pride Parade, right? In the late spring of 19 of last year. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yep. We that, did a couple of events that weekend. That's another community that's um, where there's a, a big um, substance abuse problem. Yeah. And talk about your experience there a little bit. I bet you were just wildly welcomed, right? As a oh, we really were. cool alternative. We were. It was amazing. Um, so we we had a booth. We had part of a booth. We shared a booth with a couple of other organizations that were treatment centers, and they invited us to um, to market Bar Zero while we were sober at the time. Okay. To market Sobar uh, with them and to serve some drinks. So we gave away some drinks, which um, enticed people to come over to the table and ask what we were about. And it was really fun. We got a lot of great feedback, and a lot of people um, signed up to be volunteers with us at that event and got got on our mailing list and said, wow, we're really glad that you're here. And we got to invite people to our event that evening, which were where we partnered with the Phoenix, um, because they do a sober rave every okay. year yeah, right, right, right. Um, for Pride Weekend. And so we were the uh, non-alcoholic bar at the Sober Rave. So they had a couple of DJs and people came out and played and we served some um, some beverages, some, some uh, craft zero-proof beverages and also some, you know, fizzy, just fizzy soda water yeah. at that. Um, and it was really fun. It was great. It was well, a great weekend. You've got it. You just mentioned that, and that's one of the things that I've always been curious about with this concept. You've got to have both ends of the spectrum, right? Because there are yeah. people that, since since gaining their sobriety, they've gotten used to not paying for their beverages. They've gotten used mm-hmm. to that free soda water or whatever all night. But when you're talking about craft 
uh, mocktails, you're going to have to charge eight bucks or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? To I mean, that's just part of the well, reality of the business. Yeah, it depends on what it is. We can charge a little bit less than if there were alcohol in the drink, of course. Right. Um, but there is more than just the soda water that goes into it. So we do have to charge a little bit more. But so you'll have both them. options. When you get yeah. to the brick and mortar restaurant, I mean, someone can come We will have all the options. Yeah, we're hoping to have the, the craft, um, zero, we're calling them zero-proof beverages, um, and we'll also have the soda waters available, and then we'll also have the kombucha available, and we'll have the non-alcoholic beer for people who are interested in that. Um, and we'll be very transparent about the fact that not all of these drinks are for everyone. So if you're a per- if you're a person in recovery and you know that you can't drink non-alcoholic beer because it's triggering sure. for you, then that's probably not the best choice for you tonight. But um, we also have these delicious craft syrup-proof beverages that you can try, and they may not be triggering for you. So we want to have options for everyone. We want, we want to have options for people who are in recovery, who are sober curious, or for people who just aren't drinking for the evening, but normally when they go out to dinner, they might have a beverage with alcohol in it. Yeah. One of the cool things, just to kind of to tie this all up with the fact that you are a nonprofit, one of the things that you told me about um, that's an advantage and unique about being a nonprofit is that your your plan is to welcome people in early recovery into your when when we get to the brick and mortar stage when you've got the mm-hmm. bar zero restaurant to welcome people in to have a meal that might not otherwise be able to afford to come out to your five star restaurant. Um, talk a little bit about how the the was it a voucher system. Voucher system. Talk we're about thinking that about that. Yeah, we're not sure exactly how we're going to do it, but we definitely want to be able to bring everyone in, or bring everyone to the table, so to speak. Um, we we had applied for a grant with an organization in Denver who had asked us, "How are you going to be able to serve um, this portion of the population that maybe has uh, a lower percentage of area median income?" And so it got us thinking about that because we do want to be able to invite everyone in. So that was important to their mission, and in order for them to give you grant money, they wanted to make sure exactly you that were it in. was important to yeah. us as well. And so when we went out and did some focus groups, we asked the participants in the focus groups, "Would you, if this barrier were taken away of the finances, would you?" feel comfortable coming into a higher end restaurant um, with great food and great craft drinks. Is there anything else that would keep you from coming in? And for the most part, everybody said, I would love something like that. The barrier is the finances. Mm -hmm. And so being a nonprofit, we can ask for grants and donations to allow for vouchers that look more like gift cards. So you can't tell if somebody is coming in on a voucher or if they're coming in just using a gift card that their friend bought them. So there's no stigma attached. So there's no stigma attached. Yeah. Um, That's great. And they can come in and have a nice meal and um, connect with other people and break bread, so to speak. For all the reporting headaches and the Restrictions and the difficulties of being a nonprofit, there are some real benefits, and that's Absolutely. one of them right there. That's really, Absolutely. really cool. And now that you bring up stigma, a big part of our mission and a big reason we want to bring everybody in is because we want to also be able to combat the stigma of being in recovery mm-hmm. or having had an addiction, having had problems with substance use. It is such a big problem. Um, in our society mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons that we don't want to be a recovery only community um, because we want people to come in who are not in recovery maybe they're sober curious but maybe they just are okay with not having a glass of wine with their dinner and they want to enjoy a nice experience and then they can come in and they can see that they can't tell which people are in recovery and which mm-hmm. people are not yes. because we're we 
we don't wear a sign and we don't have something stamped on our forehead that says in recovery and you can't tell the difference because we're just socioeconomically or professionally or no one wears a scarlet letter yeah right so it's that's really important to us that's cool that's great so our our podcast listeners this is not just a local podcast we've got listeners across the country and this sounds like we're bigger than we are (laughs) (laughs) worldwide um but but just specifically to the United States, though, how aware are you of trends of doing things like Bar Zero yeah. in other cities? Because this isn't this isn't a I don't mean to be insulting. This isn't a unique <laughs> idea. Like this is happening in you know, is. New York, in LA, Which in Chicago, awesome. and whatever. It's so exciting that it's happening across the country. I haven't seen anything that looks exactly like what we're doing, um, but I have seen different iterations of the same idea. So I know that there are. Uh, there's a bar in at least one bar in Brooklyn, um, and there are pop-ups in several um, cities across the country. Um, there are there's one outside of Chicago. So define pop-up for me, just just so. So the pop-up clear. is uh, not a brick and mortar either. Either they're using someone else's space, or maybe they have a mobile drink cart. I know there's one in. Um, Austin, uh, I've heard of that is a mobile, like a food truck kind of a concept. I think so. That would be so much easier without the liquor license because the right. liquor license prevents the the you know bar food truck, right? Right. That's a huge advantage to not right. serving alcohol. So they're bringing that to different events, and they are that alternative for yeah. folks at these different events. I never thought of that. And um, so there's a, a more of a membership type organization. Um, outside of Chicago that I believe just opened as a restaurant as well. Um, I'm ho- I hope I'm not misspeaking about any of these organizations or uh, businesses. And um, I know that they're popping up across the country, and I love that um, because that means that there's a need for this and that people are liking it and wanting it. So there's all kinds of evidence that this is not a fizzling trend. This isn't something yeah. that's just going to be around for a year and go away. This exactly. has got legs, which is really cool. Yeah. So I guess the message is to our listeners, wherever you are, um, get on the old Google machine and start doing some research. Because if if this if this conversation has excited you as much as it has me about the potential, there's a good chance there's something going on around you. Exactly. And uh, that's really great. But but now back to local, back to Denver. Let's talk a little bit about your, you've got a fundraising event coming up on January yeah. 23rd. Can you tell us about it for all those that are local that might want to participate? We do. Um, so we are doing a zero proof beverage demonstration. So it is like a, a mocktail workshop where uh, we have Kristen Smith of uh, the Near Miss. We met on Instagram, believe it or not. Um, and she is pretty talented in um, uh, creating and writing about her uh, zero-proof drinks. And Matthew Mallory from Super Maggie Bien, um, and they are both excellent craft mixologists um, and going to be teaching how to make some how you can make them at home and we will be sending folks home with recipes um so that they can do them at home and we'll be involving uh the audience in part of making those beverages they'll be able to taste them while they're there and we'll also have some light appetizers from chef paul um and some mixing and mingling and tickets are 25 dollars um it is in five points slash rhino at Waterford Rhino. Um, Waterford Rhino? Waterford okay. Rhino. And parking's included in the ticket price. Parking is a few blocks away, but if anybody knows what it's like to try and park down there, um, that's huge enticement yeah, to come. Yeah, the parking be included, absolutely. Um, and, and all of the information is on our website, which is barzerodenver.org, and on our Facebook page, which is barzerodenver. Um, and you can buy tickets uh, both of those places. 
And Bar Zero Denver for the website .org because you are Correct. a 501c3. You get the org. That's right. Let's not have anyone be confused. That's great. And January 23rd is the date for that again. Yes. And if somebody wants to get in contact with you, learn more, donate, become a volunteer, they can do that through through your Facebook page or through your through the website. website as well, right? Yep. We have a volunteer page on our website. We have a donate button on our website. Um Love to have volunteers right now as a startup. We rely on our volunteers for um, helping us with different events. So would love to have as many volunteers as possible. And when you get volunteers in, you, they, there's some kind of a training program, right? So you're not just throwing them to the wolves. They're, Sometimes uh... we're throwing them to the wolves, <laughs> just the nature of what we're doing. Um, but we are having a volunteer orientation on Monday of next week for folks who have not been through that orientation yet. So some of them have actually volunteered already um, and will be going through the orientation after they volunteered. But um, ideally, yes, they'll go through that orientation first. They'll learn all about Bar Zero. They'll learn about the upcoming events that we're having and where they might best fit in as a volunteer so that they can sign up to help us out. That's great. Well, Emily, I've got to say, this is all the information you shared with us here today is stuff that I already knew, (laughs) but just having this conversation, I am more excited about not just um, your upcoming fundraiser and Bar Zero, but just the the fact that this this isn't just a trend. This is is part of the new normal, and and it's an exciting, it's exciting, and you... I think the excitement I'm feeling right now is because you are a wonderful ambassador for not just your organization, but for the Sober Curious world, and um, I'm glad to call you a friend. So thank you for coming and talking to us today. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Awesome. Well, for Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis, and we are so glad to have had our guest today, Emily Schrader from Bar Zero. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.